there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am Paul Caputo, SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Today, we're going to be talking about the St. Paul Saints, one of the most storied franchises in minor league baseball. They were affiliated for a long time. Then the new franchise, which started in 1993, was independent and made huge headlines doing all sorts of wacky stuff with a pretty classic brand. So we're going to be talking about the Triple A St. Paul Saints, affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for one of my favorite surprise guests and a special lesson on philosophy and religion from an expert in the field. I'm super happy to be joined right now by the executive vice president and general manager of the St. Paul Saints, Derek Scherer. Derek, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me. I'm doing well, Paul. How are you? I uh, appreciate the invite. Well, this is one of my favorite brands in minor league baseball, you know, in part, obviously, because of, uh, you know, the whole identity that you built for yourselves over your years as an independent franchise. And now that you're a triple A franchise and an affiliate of the the Minnesota Twins right across the river, uh, I have to start by saying the Saints have been very generous with the folks of Curved Rim Media and with me for Baseball by Design. We had our Twin Cities twin billing that we did as a group where we put it out on Twitter that we were going to two games in one day. This was a bucket list item for me. We were going to two games in one day. We were going to a, a Twins game at, at one o'clock. And then we would have, we had enough cars that we didn't have to do this, but we were going to take the green line from the the Twins game to the Saints game and then see the Saints game at, at seven o'clock. And so that was an absolute pleasure. You happened to be there at the gate and you saw us wearing our t-shirts and you had been noticing on, tw- uh, on Twitter that we had been, you know, using this hashtag and said, and you said, oh, you were the guys with the, the Twin Cities twin billing. And so we appreciated that you introduced yourself to us and, in- and, and welcomed us to the ballpark. That was, that was a thrill for us. And, and the Saints were very welcoming to us that day when we showed up and, and saw that game. Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad we were able to help, and it was great meeting you all in person. Uh, certainly follow uh, many of that group's work uh, on social media, and, and more talk about minor league baseball, the, the more the better. So uh, it was it was fun to see the planning leading up to that event and then to actually run into you all here at the ballpark. And we had a, a, just an amazing time. I mean, it's a beautiful ballpark. It's a beautiful facility. We got a break with the weather. I mean, the weather, we were, the forecast was calling for thunderstorms and sort of on and off all day. And it was like the skies just parted for us when we got there for both games. And we just had incredible weather the whole day. And both games were really exciting. And I think in both instances, the home team won by one run. So we got to see some good baseball. And even after 18 innings of baseball, I was like, maybe they'll score one. Maybe the Red Wings will score one and we'll get a few extra innings here. So, uh, but that, that wasn't to be, so we saw the, we saw the home team win a couple of games. So anyhow, that was fun, but that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about minor league baseball logos and nicknames and what they mean to their local communities. The saints have been around in various forms for many, many years, far preceding your time beginning with the team in the early 2000s. So can you talk about the history of the Saints nickname in St. Paul? Sure. So, so the, the various uh, iterations of the Saints franchise that the original, uh, we believe, started in, in 1884 and, and was commonly referred to as the St. Paul Apostles. Um, certainly, the, the the connection to to the city name is key there, St. Paul. Um, but but yeah, they they started and, I, and back then the uniforms didn't often carry the team name. It, it more often than not had nothing on it at all, or or only the the community name of St. Paul. So but but they were referred to as the Apostles. Uh, 
in the in the that was 1884, I believe it was 1894 um, when Charles Comiskey actually uh, brought a team from uh, Sioux City, Iowa to St. Paul uh, in what was called the Western League, and and he began referring to his team as the St. Paul Saints. Again, no, we we can't find any photos that actually show a logo or, or of any kind that says Saint that says the Saints on it. But the team began being referred to as the Saints in the late 1800s, uh, late 1890s. Um, he then picked that team up, uh, I believe, in 1900 and moved it to, to Chicago. And it, it became what's what's now known as the Chicago White Sox. Um, but then a new a new team began shortly thereafter, um, which, again, was was called the St. Paul Saints. And, and that name has stuck ever since. And as as time progressed, you see various versions of of the, the the name and the logo and the the interlocked STP or, or the block STP, um, but but yes, yeah, that late 1800s when baseball began here in in, in St. Paul and um, from the Apostles to the Saints, uh, we're, here we are still. Sure, well, and you have the the very classic logo, the 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 visual identity of the team is really classic which is in juxtaposition to the, yeah. some of the really wacky stuff that you guys have done on the field, or even your, you know, we'll talk about like the, the one block championship parade that you did and, and, you know, some of the funny stuff that you've done, but the interlocking STP is sort of a, a classic baseball identity system, right. To, to put that on the, um, on the cap for the cap logo, and then the sort of script saints across the chest. So a fairly conservative visual identity yeah. in some ways, I'm wearing the T-shirt right now that has the the type as image creating the STP letter forms creating uh, the the form of a pig. What is the significance of the pig to the St. Paul Saints identity? Sure, the the, the T-shirt you're wearing actually we, we refer to that logo as the pig's eye logo because it has the the dot there for the pig's eye. Um, St. Paul uh, prior to actually taking the name St. Paul or being commonly known as St. Paul, what was known as Pig's Eye Landing. Um, and it was named for uh, a, a explorer, trapper. Um, I think he's known for some other things, uh, but, but Pig's Eye Perrant uh, was the, the gentleman who along the Mississippi River um, created, a, a started this, this community, um, which again was known as Pig's Eye. Um, so there, there is the Pig's Eye Beer, um, was historically a, a, a well-known beer here in the in the Twin Cities area. It's it's since a it's a brand that's long since disappeared. But uh, the, the the Pig's Eye brand is something that's very familiar to to St. Paul, both historically um, and in various uh, various different products over the course of time here. But but that was uh, I, I think it was in 2016 or 2017 that that. We adopted that design as our as our pig's eye brand. Actually, we wore the hat. Um, we we have an alternate hat that we wear with with that logo. With, uh, that we occasionally wear with alternate jerseys. Um, but in 2017, we we actually had a pig's eye jersey that we wore along with the hat, and and that jersey stuck around for a couple of years. So we talked about the significance of pigs to St. Paul and obviously how you've incorporated the pigs into your branding. But I know that there's more of a significance to to pigs and the and the St. Paul Saints as well. Can, can you elaborate a little bit on, on what else you guys do with pigs? Yeah, no question. And the pig is is more than just branding for us. It's it's a significant part of the experience. And uh, the, the quick story I'll tell you is go, dating back to 1992 when, when Mike Beck and 
and, and Marv Goldklang and, and Bill Murray first, uh, uh, you know, planted planted the flag here in St. Paul to, to begin this franchise. Mike Mike and his wife Libby uh, were, were going for a walk along the Mississippi River here in St. downtown St. Paul, and they came across a uh, they came across a historical marker that that talked about uh, St. Paul being formerly known as as Pig's Eye Landing, as as we discussed. And at, at that moment. Mike knew that, uh, that that we needed we needed a, a live mascot pig uh, for, for every ball game. We needed a ball pig, so to speak. <laughs> so um, he'd always been big on uh, on live animal mascots, and, and actually with one of his uh, clubs in, in in Miami, the the Miami Miracle, um, which eventually became the Fort Myers Miracle, now the the Fort Myers Mighty Muscles. But um, in in Miami, uh, or actually I think it was based in Pompano Beach at the time. Uh, he actually, he had a, a mascot golden retriever. Um, one of the first, you know, I think there are probably bat dogs and ball dogs all over minor league baseball nowadays, but, but Jericho, the miracle dog was, was sort of the original, um, back in the early nineties. Uh, so, so Mike knew that this place needed uh, a mascot ball pig. And the, so the first ever contract signed by the St. Paul saints was with a pig farmer from uh, river falls, uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> so um so since since day one 1993 we've we've had uh, we worked with uh, the Hout family um again farmers from Wisconsin that that make the 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 25 minute drive over to uh to St. Paul every night for the every game home game night for the past 30 years to to bring our mascot pig the pig starts as a baby in the spring and uh by the end of the summer it's usually somewhere in the range of uh 250 300 pounds um, but but one pig every year. Actually, I take that back. We one pig every year, but for one, where because of the name, we had two. We had two pigs. We, we do a fan contest every year prior to the season to allow our fans to 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 provide name name possibilities for the mascot pig, and and then uh, you, you know small committee takes that uh, takes that list and narrows it down and, and selects a winner. And we have a lot of fun with the, the pig names every year. Do you have some some examples of some of the fun pig names that you've had over the years? Sure, the the fans are amazing with this, and usually it's uh, it's something. Oftentimes, it's something timely. I mentioned the one year um, where where we had two. The reason we had two was because we had a couple um, named uh, for the pig, and it was Kim Lardashian and Chris Hamfries. Um, so, so we had those pigs for the uh, for most of the year. We actually did a wedding for the pigs. The pigs were married for 72 days and then divorced before the end of the season, oh, which gosh. mirrored um, Kim and Chris's uh, of summer of love. Well, that you know what they say, 50% of pig weddings end in divorce. So that's a <laughs> pure, pure tragedy there. There have been several. Uh, Kevin Bacon, um, one, <laughs> one of the one of the more one of the more traditional um, ham solo was another good one. Garrison so good. Squealer was a nice play um, on, on St. Paul history. Uh Bud Squealig uh, was another nice. was another fan favorite. Yeah. What is the pig's name this year? This year's pig's name, uh, you know, not timely this year. Actually, there wasn't something that just hooked everybody's attention going on um, that that made sense. But uh, certainly a little bit of a throwback here for for those uh, those of us eighties eighties kids. Eight six seven five three zero swine oh my. is uh, the name of this year's pig. Well, that's going to be stuck in my head all day now, too. So, <laughs> so thanks for that, Derek. Well, that's that, I love this detail. I think that's a really fun aspect of this story. And now, if we could just, you know, you mentioned bat dogs. If you could actually train the pigs to go out there and, you know, grab the bat and bring it back to the to the dugout, that would be really fun. 
So you'd be amazed at, at how trainable the pigs are. I know I have been amazed. I know far more about pigs than, than anybody <laughs> who's not involved with farming should. Um, but, but the pigs do get trained. Uh, they, 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 we put saddlebags on them and, uh, and then they get, they get trained and take baseballs out to the umpires and they'll have a, a bottle of, of, uh, of Powerade or water in their, in the saddlebag they can take out to the umpire and they're, they're actually pretty trainable. Well, this is, this is spectacular. Thank you for sharing that. That is uh, really fun. You know, you mentioned the, the, the juxtaposition between the, the Saints' um, visual brand and, and certainly the, the, the brand of the franchise promote from a marketing and promotional perspective. It's really important to us to, to connect to the history of the Saints. This is a, a century, more than a century old um, franchise. Historically, our iteration of the Saints um, with, with this ownership, uh, ownership group began in 1993. Uh, but but we wanted to connect to the history of, of baseball in St. Paul when, when the franchise started in 1993. And, and, and another key element was this is the only franchise in the city of St. Paul that wears St. Paul across its chest, that has mm-hmm. St. Paul in its name. You, you have the Minnesota Wild. Um, you have various other um, teams. At, at one time, there was the Minnesota Swarm, a, a, a major league lacrosse team. Um, so it was very important when when Mike Vec, uh, Marv Goldklang, and Bill Murray brought this franchise, brought baseball back um, to the city of St. Paul to 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 adopt the name St. Paul and then adopt the name St. Paul Saints um, to to both celebrate the city of St. Paul, give St. Paul something of its own as somewhat of the the, the smaller uh, the smaller of the two twin cities um, to to really wrap our arms around this community. Sure. And that's a big deal. That was something I was going to ask about, right? That, you know, any, any of the other major teams that have played in St. Paul have gone by Minnesota essentially, and you all are the only one to, to really embrace St. Paul as part of the nickname that has become, I think, more important in the last couple of years, because after all of this history in St. Paul with the, with the saints, just last year, a year and a half ago, as part of the reorganization of minor league baseball, the saints were, essentially promoted uh, out of independent, the independent American association to all the way up to AAA as the AAA affiliate of the twins. One of the things that you all did visually that I absolutely loved was that you took the, the, the Minnie and Paul twins logo that has the, the shape of the state of, of Minnesota behind it. And then there's the baseball and the twins script. Uh, you all took a, a, you took that logo and created a, a version of it where you had TC Bear, the Twins mascot, and then, of course, you had the St. Saint Paul Saints pig mascot shaking hands, just like the old-timey Minnie and Paul are, are shaking hands in that Twins logo, and then a slightly different uh, color pattern. It has the lighter blue instead of the Twins darker blue, and then that in that logo, the, the pig is, is it has a little, like, radio flyer wagon with all of the, you know, like, little reminders of some of the, you know, various promotional nights that you all have had and whatnot. So, so it was a really sort of fun version of, you know, fun takeoff on the fact that now, now you're a AAA team and, and you have this, you know, sort of fun version of that logo. Is that logo still around? Or are you guys still, you know, using that logo in various places? Yeah, the, the, the primary focus for that logo was the, the inaugural season as a AAA affiliate, but it is something we still um, use occasionally. And it's, it, it, that, that was designed um, very intentionally by, by a young man named Jordan Lynn, um, 
that, that was here with the Saints at the time. And and the 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 concept behind that, I mean, the the the, the things you described were, were very intentional, right? We we called that the Better Together um, logo, and we've it was such a huge transition. Twenty eight years um, as an independent franchise in a major league market. Um, two franchises, the Twins and the Saints, operating successfully all those years, virtually completely separately, with the occasional, the, the occasional partnership on a on a community relations event or or some sort of initiative that, that we work together on. Ten miles apart, living in different worlds, um, operating almost completely independently of each other. Uh, the the fact that that this transition had taken place, both parties had agreed to to come together and and partner, it was such a huge, um, I, this is a pretty special baseball market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what you guys did, uh, having the opportunity to, to go to a major league game in the afternoon and a minor league game in the evening, uh, again, 10 and a half miles away. It's, it's a pretty special baseball market. And uh, Minnesota is, a, is quietly um, a, a hotbed of baseball, amateur, professional, collegiate, you name it. So so this was a, it was a pretty special move that was being made, both the, by the Twins and the Saints entering into this partnership. So that logo, um, it, it, it obviously it mirrored the iconic Minnie and Paul logo, which is, uh, you know, an amazing logo um, designed years and years ago. Uh, and, but the, the two, bringing the two mascots together, TC Bear and then Madonna, M-U-D, Madonna is the name of our our mascot pig. Obviously, you know, sort of um, illustrating the the partnership between the two organizations. But the red wagon uh, was important because it emphasized who who we are and and what we plan to bring to the table. It also emphasized that the twins were were good with that. Um, mm-hmm. That as part of this transition, as part of this partnership, the, the twins said from day one, you know, we. We, we want the Saints and everything that the Saints are. We, we want to partner with the Saints um, as is. Not, uh, we're not looking to change who the Saints are and what they represent. And uh, um, they, they, they were adamant to us that, that in partnership with the Saints, they wanted all of the fun and games. They, they wanted the Saints experience to, to remain the same. Um, and, and we certainly were excited about the opportunity to, 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 to have our fan base have an opportunity to watch the top prospects in all of minor league baseball, both for the twins and our opponents coming, coming here through CHS field. Sure. Well, okay. So let's, you, you mentioned the fun and games. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the, before you became an affiliated franchise, that the saints were one of the best known independent franchises out there. That's in part because of the the cachet that the the ownership group brings, right? Like having Bill Murray involved with the team, having him wear the cap during the Space Jam movie, right? Like, so there's a certain amount of cachet that Bill Murray and Mike Beck bring to to the team. But you certainly made a name for yourself with some of the the fun things that you did, some of the fun promotions that you had. So I want to talk about just a couple of the the, the noteworthy ones. I'm sure you can see these coming. The first one, uh, my favorite, is the Atheist Night that you all have done, where you rebrand the St. Paul Saints as the Mr. Paul Aints. You rolled your eyes a little bit there when I brought up Atheist Night. Only because you described it as your favorite. Uh, I can assure you it wasn't everybody's favorite. Uh, Of course. (laughs) Of course. Hopefully, you know, folks have have gotten over that. But... um, can you tell me sort of what was the impetus for, for Atheist Night and, and, and talk a little bit about how it was received? 
Sure. Uh, you know, I guess one thing I'd, I'd preface this entire part of the uh, aspect of the conversation with is uh, we talk a lot internally about the difference between brand and branding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you mentioned the, the, the traditional look uh, of the Saints and, and that sort of historic connection um, with the interlocking STP, the Saints script. Uh, we, we also wear a, a, a darker blue, navy blue uh, block STP and and the color scheme actually connects somewhat to um, our longtime affiliation with the the Dodgers dating back to the Brooklyn Dodgers Mm -hmm. um, prior to uh, that team leaving town as the twins came in uh, in 1963, 61, early 1960s. Um, The the Saints left town, um, moved south as as a AAA franchise and, and then came back in 1993 in the independent version so so that that to, to us is our branding the, the the look and and the the design our brand is 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 who we are it's it's our brand is consistently doing well the things that matter most um whether it's customer service whether it's affordability whether it's the experience as you walk through the ballpark walk through those gates into chs field um it, it's it's the the, the fun and games we referred to, it's it's being a little bit edgy, a little bit mischievous. Um, certainly uh, the, 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 the St. Paul Saints name has a religious connotation to it, but by no means is it is it based on religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's somewhat where that that promotion came from. Uh, it was sort of the, the marrying of of timing and an idea. Uh, we there, there was a, a large uh, national atheist convention taking place uh in the twin cities uh in the summer of 2012 and and representatives from the minnesota atheist association came to visit with us and they said they'd like to bring a a large group out to the ballpark and enjoy a saints game and uh they they kind of joked with about the ir the the uh the irony of of the the minnesota or the national atheist group attending a a, a St. Paul Saints game, um, and and just started kicking ideas around, and and one of them mentioned uh, how funny it would be to to rename the Saints and remove um, Saint from from everything, and um, and call them the Mister Paul Saints. So we, uh, you know, we 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 had a little fun with the the interaction. We had some fun with the brainstorming, and the more we thought about it, we thought this would be a, a an interesting, um, if not entertaining. Um, one-time event to, to see how it played and uh it was all that and more uh from what we would have expected so you, you sort of described the promotion that the jerseys were changed um to, to the mr paul Aints instead of saint paul uh, so again the the name in and of itself isn't uh derived religiously it's it's derived from the the, the city and and um the, the city name and to remove saint from it certainly uh made a we weren't intending to make a statement but it made a statement sure um, and the the response was uh the, the response was vociferous i can assure you and, and the interesting thing about the response was it was virtually 100 never 100 but virtually 100 positive locally mm-hmm. um because we had in in 2012 we were what 17 um or 19 years into our into our history and uh, th- this iteration of the Saints' history, um, and and the market knows who we are and knows what the franchise is all about. They understood 
that uh, that that occasionally we're going to toe the line um, promotionally and uh, take some risks. Nationally was where the uh, was where the both he heavily positive and heavily negative um, feedback came. So uh, th there were various media groups around the country, which which you can imagine and begin to highlight in your mind who those might be. Sure. Um, they reacted uh, pretty negatively and pretty loudly. But uh, in in the ballpark, um, in the market, everybody had a lot of fun with it. Sure. Well, I can, you know, I can certainly see that. And it just, I don't know, seems like if you're upset about that, you need to sort of get a sense of humor. It's, it doesn't seem like that that big a deal, but sure. I, you know, I guess it's predictable that there's going to be a reaction to to anything, especially now. Well, um, maybe... one thing I one thing I'd mentioned, Paul, and this was really important. We, we have two um, two individuals who have been very involved with our organization for years. One is a gentleman named Charlie Rudd, um, who at one time was our all-time winningest pitcher. Um, but he's also a Lutheran priest. And, mm -hmm. and while he was pitching for us, he was going through the seminary um, to complete his degree before becoming a priest and, and actually having his own church. Um, we also have, and, and I wish she would have been here when, when you guys were here for the game. Um, we also, since 1993, have had um, Sister Rosalind um, Ginefra, who who is a massaging nun. Um, she runs a, a school of massage and, and has been giving massages, raising money for her school and, and various causes at Saints games since 1993, um, in her early 90s now. So she's not doing it quite as much as she used to. But yeah. but we did sit down with both both Charlie and Sister Roz prior to that event and, and just asked what they thought and if they would be comfortable. And uh, both understanding who the Saints are and um, understanding our position in the market they both uh, agreed that uh, they would be supportive so just an interesting um side story to, to that event well i'm very glad to hear that and that does feel like the appropriate response to that promotion for sure and and i do wish that there had been a 90 something year old massaging nun there when we were there in june that would have been <laughs> that would have been great she's um, amazing were the were the naysayers placated at all when when you all did the saint paul bobblehead <laughs> unfortunately chronologically the, the, the timing didn't work out that way uh, oh right that was before that came prior to so uh okay. so yeah we didn't have an opportunity to to, to, <laughs> to placate in that way are there any more of those bobbleheads around i've seen pictures of them and they're they're hilarious they're actual bobbleheads of saint paul himself I, I believe we have some around the ballpark here there, there aren't there aren't many remaining at least at least with us <laughs> i'm sure there are collectors with them but no that was that was a great one i want to say that was um, 2002 uh, or 2001 when that one when that one was given away well that that is that is very funny you probably saw this coming though speaking of bobbleheads you all did another promotion which i'm sure garnered something of a reaction nationally which was a bobble foot and uh it was yeah. shortly after the you're, you're nodding you look like you're resigned to this question you knew it was coming it was shortly after the the scandal the wide stance scandal with senator larry craig in the uh, minneapolis airport and you you commemorated that scandal which we won't go into too much detail on people can google it if they want sure. but there there was a scandal involving a u.s senator and a bathroom in an airport using his feet to try to contact other people in the same bathroom and you all did a bobble foot that commemorated the bathroom stall and the feet in the wide stance. Um, yeah. Obviously that garnered a reaction nationally as well. Yeah, that was, that was fun. I, I think that the, 
the the most memorable aspect of that promotion for us is sort of how it came about uh, the the from a development standpoint. And this is this is more, I guess, behind the curtain than than anybody really wants. But um, at least from my perspective, the best ideas are the ideas that by the time you get to the actual day of the promotion, you almost don't remember who came up with the original idea. So many people play a role in the development of an idea that you almost forget who had the original. In this case, um, I do remember the brainstorming uh, a preseason promotional meeting and and that incident had just happened that the, uh, you know, apparently it was it was relatively common to tap your foot under a stall to try to to, to meet somebody. And uh, so in this promotional meeting, you know, someone says, do we do anything with that? And everybody kind of, you know, shakes their heads. I'm not really sure that there's a there's a, a great way to go about doing something about that. And we, so we move on and, and sort of pass on the idea um, later in the meeting. Uh, one of the interns uh, sitting in the meeting is is flipping through uh, the the Chase Almanac, which is a gold mine for for uh, minor league baseball operators trying to come up with promotional ideas. You know, it tells you it tells you what day it is on every what special day it is: National Hot Dog Day, National Cupcake Day, sure, National Green Grass Day, whatever it might be um, for every date. And you know, someone's flipping through. One of the staff members is flipping through the. The, the Chase Almanac and says, you know, May 25th is, is National Tap Dance Day. Um, and from there, that everything just sort of took off. It, 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 we, we sort of had our cover, so to speak, and th there was a layer there to put over the top of the, the bit and, and above the gag. So, so we named it National Tap Dance Day and uh, everything about the promotion in the ballpark and the experience as fans um, came through the gates after they got their their bobble foot was about tap dancing. It was dance companies, um, dance teachers. It was the, the music. It was videos of Fred Astaire. Um, everything was about National Tap Dance Day. But the, the giveaway was, um, as you said, the, the bobble foot, which was a which was a, a bathroom stall uh, with a spring loaded foot. And uh, and on the bathroom stall, it had the Saints logo. It also had a, a graffiti that said for a good time call. And then it had our, our, our ticket number, um, 644-6659. Oh, call now for so, St. Paul Saints tickets. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we had some fun with that and, and, and Hey, we're, we're, look, we're, we're a, we're a minor league ball club in a major league market and, yeah. and have been since 1993. And, and we've known since day one that, that there weren't going to be TV cameras covered Every, here every night from from ABC, CBS, and NBC from the from the local news, they weren't going to have their sports guy out here getting highlight clips to then show highlights of our game on the on the ten o'clock news. They're going to do that with the Twins. Um, sure. They're going to do that with the Vikings. They're going to the, the major sports coverage was going to come with the major league franchises and and the Big Ten University. So we knew since day one, we were going to have to be something different if, if we were going to uh, rise to the level of, of, uh, of interest in, in a, in a major league market like this. And, and, and Mike Beck would often say, if, if you have to light yourself on fire, you have to light yourself on fire and, right. uh, to, to draw attention. And, and the, the idea was promotionally to always think big first. We, we figure if, if, if there's an idea that's going to garner some national attention, 
the, the local guys don't have much choice but to cover um, when, when the ESPN truck pulls up or, or in the case of, of the two promotions you just mentioned, when the CNN truck pulls up. <laughs> um, when they're here covering it, it's kind of hard for the local guys not to cover it. So sure. that's, that's, been the, that's been the philosophy since day one. Right. Well, I've already kept you longer than I meant to here, but I will I will rattle off a couple of the other uh, promotions that you've done that that had sort of national appeal that were were fun. There were the Bud Selig ties after uh, he announced that there could be ties in the All-Star game. After the whole Michael Vick controversy with the dog fighting, you did Michael Vick chew toys. And then there was a world, a world record pillow fight in 2015. It sounds like that was a pretty amazing experience. The one I wanted to ask you about, though, is the one block championship parade after the team won the American association championship, you won the league championship and held a one block parade. Why did you hold a one block parade? Well, I'll, I'll give credit where, where credits due here on that. Um, I, well, I'm, and, and very quickly, I'm, I appreciate you mentioning the pillow fight because it, it goes to show that they, that they don't all have to be controversial and, right. and edgy. Yeah, the, the, we, we hosted a, a, a we painted 56,000 twister dots on our outfield at one point as well and played a lot, the world's largest game of twister um, on the field post-game, uh, world's largest food fight, ballpark food fight, um, celebrating Animal House. So so sometimes they can just be fun and, sure. and big and entertaining. So, um, But but occasionally we, we definitely like to toe the line and be a little bit edgy. But you mentioned the, the one block championship parade. We, we, we clinched... Um, the American Association Championship in Game Three of, of the championship series, three game sweep on on a Saturday night. On Sunday morning, um, everybody's sort of uh, sleeping off, um, sleeping off the celebration. Um, I'm actually sitting at a ball field watching my my teenage son play in a traveling baseball game. It's I don't know. It's 87 degrees. It's too hot for somebody who uh, spent the night before celebrating, but <laughs> sitting there kind of feeling the feeling the celebration just a little bit. And I, I look at my phone and on Twitter, I see that that we've just announced, um, and I, by we, I mean our, our radio broadcaster, Sean Aronson, who's, who's been with us for, for 15 years now. Um, I, Sean handles a lot of what we do on Twitter and is often the voice um, again, behind the curtain, but you're not going to air this anywhere. Right. So nobody, right. no, 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 Sean will never know. And so I can tell you completely off the record that Sean was super helpful with setting Good. up our press credentials. And he was, he was a joy to work with, but no one will ever hear that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Nope, nobody, nobody, <laughs> this will never be. So anyway, um, I, I see on, on Twitter that, uh, and, and, and it's Sean's, um, sense of humor, uh, basically stating that, you know, we get who we are. We know where we fit in the food chain. We're the minor league team in the major league market. The big league guys get, uh, you know, a canyon of champions parades. Um, all we ask for is a block. And uh, we're going to we're gonna do a one block parade uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, <laughs> so I immediately panicked and, and reached out to Sean and said, hey, man, I, I don't I, I don't know what you've done with this, but you know, obviously we got to talk to some people if we're doing a parade, we've got to talk to the city, we've got to talk to the police, we've got to block streets. And he's like, relax, it's a joke. I'm, you know, I'm, I, it's, a, it's a tweet. I just right. put it out there. Right. Well, the, the tweet got so much response. Um, so many people having fun with it. So many people saying you have to do this. Yeah. Um, we actually heard from the city saying, hey, are you guys planning on doing this? This will be a lot of fun. So <laughs> Uh, the, the tweet sort of 
it's one of those things that sort of got tweeted into reality. And uh, we spent the next uh, 12 to, to 18 hours putting it together. And, you know, not that there was an awful lot to put together. We basically right. uh, drove around the corner from our ballpark that we blocked off the block um, of, of Broadway directly in front of our, uh, the, the, our, our park. And, uh, and I, I believe the parade was made up of, of players and staff riding on tractors and golf carts. And um, we did have a, we did have a, a three-man band um, heading the parade up. I, I think a trumpet, a trombone, and maybe a snare drum or something along those lines. So it was a lot of fun. The most amazing thing about it was the turnout. Yeah. Um, we, 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 as again, we were sort of pushed to do it by the response to the tweet didn't anticipate anybody would actually come. I, we, we did it, I think at 10 o'clock in the morning. So it was mid, you know, mid workday on a Monday. And, and we had upwards of a thousand to 1200 people um, just sort of jammed in this one block area. So um, it was pretty special, pretty magical. Um, we're, we're very fortunate to, 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 to live and work in the community we do and, and, and do what we do for the fans um, that we have an opportunity to, to, to play and work in front of. And man, they, they really showed showed up for us that day well that is that's a blast and that's hilarious so this is uh i have another question for you that's a little bit of a departure from what we've been talking about and it's not quite to do really with branding or brand but it's something that i think is really fascinating at your ballpark you have an exhibit on the history of baseball and in particular the history history of baseball in saint paul really well done really well designed you know interesting place to to explore uh, a little bit one of the things one of the panels that i really enjoyed or the the display areas that i really enjoyed was about tony stone who was the the first woman to play in a men's professional league she played in the negro leagues back in the 40s and 50s and her family moved relocated to saint paul and she was from there and so she's obviously a big part of of saint paul baseball i read her biography and her sort of time in saint paul growing up there was a big part of her story as a you know baseball player so anyway that exhibit is is something that not every team does uh it's a really cool thing for a fan to be able to see and experience what was the thinking in in creating that for your fans yeah well i, I mean you could tell by by our our appearance and and the visual look of of our organization that the, the history of of baseball in saint paul has been important to our ownership and our operation since since day one, um, but there was a there was a moment where where it really where, where it really hit home. Um, over the years, we 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 had various opportunities to to celebrate the history of the Saints, the history of baseball in St. Paul, beginning in 1993 all the way through uh, moving into CHS Field in 2015. Any any number of of events that that um, we we put on celebrating that history. Uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to, fortunate enough to have Wayne Terwilliger um, coach with us uh, for several years. So there's, you know, there's, there's living at the point, at that point in time, living history was, was spending every day of, of, uh, of our season with our team in our ballpark. So great opportunities to celebrate the history of baseball in St. Paul. Um, in 2015, when we moved to CHS field, there was so much exposure for the, for the franchise and for baseball in St. Paul, that people started coming out of the woodwork and saying, hey, I, I heard you built a new ballpark. Uh, I was in my basement. I came across this team team photo from the 1932 St. Paul Saints, or, or my grandfather used to be a bat boy for the Saints at Lexington Park. And I, I mean, it, it had to have been 50, 60 people that, that sort of came out of the woodwork and said, hey, do you have some place? Would you want this 
artifact, do you have some place you keep it? And uh, you know, after that happens so many times, you start thinking there there may be some value to uh, to, to really investing in this and 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 leaning into this. So it was really a passion play for uh, for Marv Goldklang, um, and and the the rest of our group. But but Marv really drove this forward in that he felt that it was important to invest in this facility uh, and provide a community um, asset in terms of a of a museum and. Uh, so, so we began digging into the history even more. We, we, we met with these folks that had artifacts. We, we, we met with an organization uh, called Split Rock Studios who, who designs museums based here in the Twin Cities. Um, and, and things just started coming together. And where it really hit home was as we were, as we were studying the history and, and learning everything we could possibly be learned, absorbing as much information as we could, it, it really hit home when, when you start thinking about the city of St. Paul and, and the, the, the Saints history, but not only the Saints, just baseball history in St. Paul. Uh, we have we have three Hall of Famers and and one who I I'm pretty confident that he's going to be a Hall of Famer soon, who all grew up playing on the, the ball fields, the parks uh, of, of the city of St. Paul within just a mile of each other in, in Jack Morris, uh, Dave Winfield, Paul Molitor, and then Joe Maurer. And you just look at those four guys and, and their uh, on-field history and, and their importance to the game of baseball, the fact that they grew up within a mile of each other in the city of St. Paul, playing on the same ball fields for the same coaches in a lot of cases, which is crazy. Um, you know, we, we Minnesota's commonly known as the state of hockey. And uh, when you dig into the history of baseball in St. Paul, you can pretty comfortably say that, that St. Paul is the city of baseball. And uh, when, that's when it really hit home that, uh, that this is something worth investing in, um, having a, a, a free amenity uh, to, to anyone who wants to visit. Obviously, if you, if you buy a ticket to a ball game, you can walk through the exhibit, but you can also give us a call on a non-game day and say, hey, I'd like to come by and do a tour of the, of the, uh, of, of the City of Baseball Museum. So it's something that we're really proud of and, and uh, that there's such a, a, a rich history. I, I think we talked a little bit already about that, that 18 early 1884 beginnings of uh of of the St. Paul Saints history but but baseball history uh in St. Paul begins earlier than that um with, with a with a club called the the, the St. Paul's Red Cap the St. Paul Red Caps and then it just funnels all the way through the the relationships with the yeah there's a there's a great history of of uh the, the Saints relationship with the Yankees and and Merle Huggins and Babe Ruth playing in old Lexington Park um on to a, a relationship with the, with the Red Sox, the Brooklyn Dodgers, um, and then moving on to uh, what we call the comeback kids when, when the Saints uh, be, became an independent franchise in 1993 and, and then on now to the, to the future of, of baseball here in St. Paul as a AAA affiliate. So appreciate you bringing that up. Well, you know, I mean, it's such an important part and it's, a, and it's a unique aspect of the ballpark experience there, right? Like not every team does that. And so it was, it's very cool. And I actually, through my day job, was familiar with the work of Split Rock Studios, and I know that they do great work. So uh, I was I was happy to bring that up because it's a cool thing, and I know it's something that we enjoyed when when we were there at, at the ballpark as well. Awesome, I lo love to hear it. You, you mentioned Tony Stone, and and uh, one other one other aspect of the history of baseball here in St. Paul that we were really excited to celebrate in the museum is is the history of black baseball. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the exhibit about the the exhibit with Tony Stone is 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 
very special history and the, the fact that she grew, she learned the game. You mentioned she moved to, to St. Paul as a child, learned the game on the baseball field, going to, going to games at Lexington Park, uh, participating in camps as a girl in, in you know, the mid 1900th century and, and not something that, that girls did a lot back then playing, sure. playing baseball. So awesome. And then, and then uh, Phil Daddy Reed and the, uh, and the, the St. Paul colored Gophers were one of the, the great black baseball teams that, that, that didn't exist late enough to play in the Negro leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this friend, this, this ball club dominated uh, the, the barnstorming in the upper Midwest and uh, was incredibly talented, but it would, it had disappeared before um, the Negro leagues came around. So, uh, so yeah, just another opportunity to celebrate uh, to black baseball history in, in St. Paul. Well, such a cool town for baseball and such a cool franchise to talk about and, and, and so much, right. I mean, just so many different aspects of this story. So I really do appreciate you spending so much time with me today on this. Derek, the Saints are easy to find on all the social media. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, I believe I'm, uh, you know, I'm not the most active on social media, but I, but I'm following a lot of folks at least. Um, but I, I think I'm at Derek Share, uh, D E R E K S H A R R E R on Twitter. Awesome, Derek. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. And go Saints! We had a we had a great time, and appreciate everything that you did for us, and uh, really appreciate you joining me now for the for the podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. It was so great to meet you guys and uh, glad you had a good time here. One, one last thing I'd want to emphasize. We, I really appreciate you uh, being here and, and sort of highlighting the, the experience of, of coming to a Saints game. One thing I'd want to emphasize with that is what, what we do as a staff is is maybe half of that. Um, the, the majority of that experience, as you saw, is, is, is the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, we, everything we do, we do for them. And, and certainly... We, they're a huge part of what we do. They're, they're, they're a big part of the show here and they, they buy in, they participate, they, they get who we are and what we do. And uh, they give us a really long leash, which, which we appreciate. Well, you could totally feel that at the ballpark. It was really the, the, the atmosphere was, a, was electric and, and really fun. So definitely one of my favorite minor league baseball experiences uh, and appreciate all that you did for us. Thank you awesome. very much. Thanks, Derek. All right, everyone, welcome back. Given that we're talking about the St. Paul Saints, I thought I would bring in the author of more than 20 books on philosophy and religion, more than 250 academic articles on those subjects, the Professor Emeritus of Religion from Syracuse University, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy from Villanova University, my dad, Dr. John D. Caputo. Dad, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure, Paul. It's obviously this this subject is right up your alley. So I just want to I just want to jump right in and and ask you who was Saint Paul and uh, what kind of ball player was he? Saint Saint Paul was all over the globe. He he was he was a man that covered all the bases. <laughs> it's he, pretty good that <laughs> we're off to a great start. <laughs> saint Paul, say say when when you uh, first told me about this, I, I I thought well Saint Paul Minnesota. What that means is. Uh, the, the people, the immigrants who settled the middle, the, the central part of the country were, uh, were a lot of Germans. So there were and German Protestants and Luther. Luther was a, was a, a German. So I thought, well, this is a, this is a, a city named after patron saint of uh, German Protestants. But it, I actually looked this up. This was named after by a Catholic, a French Catholic priest. 
who was a missionary. And that's another hat that St. Paul wore. St. Paul was the guy who carried the ball for, well, that's a football metaphor, though, uh, for uh, the church in the New World, uh, which, in those, which was Greece and Rome, the, the Roman Empire. So he, he was, he was the, the patron saint of all missions. And so he would go to remote places where the word had not been heard and he would preach the word. So if you've got a minor league team that is invoking the name of St. Paul, that's clearly uh, a reflection of Paul the missionary carrying the word, the, the word of baseball to the provinces, to, to the remote regions, to the minor leagues to get, to get, to get the word out there uh, about the, the, the saving word of baseball. That, that would be my hypothesis. So he's out there spreading the word for the church in remote communities. So he's kind of he's kind of building grassroots community support for the church in the same way that minor league baseball is 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 creating grassroots community support for for baseball. St. Paul was a rabble rouser. He would go into these towns and tell them, preach the word that they hadn't heard before, and he got himself in quite a lot of trouble. Usually, ended up getting kicked out of town. So he so if he were if he were if, he's a, if, he, if you make him the patron saint of minor league baseball, then minor league baseball is going to have to fight to fight for the truth of baseball in these, this remote region. That would be kind of an extension of St. Paul. <laughs> but as a ball player, it sounds like he may have been a clubhouse cancer who isn't necessarily a team player who's going to get along with his teammates. Uh, yeah, he was, he was difficult. Uh, he, he, he established these communities that were tight, but the communities were outsiders and they were you know, the key, we go into Jewish communities and say, look, Judaism has been fulfilled. Here's the word. Now the Messiah has arrived. And traditional Jews didn't want to hear that. And so he got, oh, he was always getting himself into trouble with the, the local Jewish community. Eventually he would get kicked out of town. So, you know, these, a lot of times sports teams like to have mascots that are intimidating or menacing in some way. What do you think of, of Saints as a, you know, you're an opposing ball player and you come in and this team is named the Saints. You know, what is it, what is it you're afraid of? They've got divine assistance. They're, uh, they're, their uh, fastballs will be supernaturally empowered. They'll be, uh, the, the, their manager will have divine guidance. They, these people, you won't be able to touch these people. If they're, if they're the Saints, they've got, they've got the power on their side. They've got divinity. Uh, they've got omniscience and omnipotence. That's a, that would, your OPS would be, would be out of sight. <laughs> you have uh, omnipotence and, and omniscience on your side. You know, you can't lose. That's one of these new metrics, I think, that they're keeping track of in sports these days. That's, that's sabermetrics just ruining the game right there, I think. Yeah. Um, omniscience. What would you say, omniscience? And omnipotence. And omnipotence. See, God, God knows everything, and God can do anything, right? That would be terrific if you had that on a baseball team. Seems like the Saints should be the AAA team for the Anaheim Angels rather than the Minnesota Twins. Well, if I had a choice, I would rather have St. Paul than an Angel because St. Paul was, he was, um, he was the man. He was, he was the, 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 the carrier of the word and of Jesus. And so the, and Jesus is higher than the Angels. So all things being equal, Somebody who's got St. Paul on their side will be able to beat an angel. Okay. This Angels is, would be tough to beat, but you, if you had, if you had St. Paul on your side, you could beat an angel. Are there, this team is named for, they're, they're named the Saints. Are there other Saints who you think would be really good ball players? Like, could you field an all-star team of Saints to, to be a baseball team? 
uh, that would be quite a team, all, 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 all the all celestial team. <laughs> and uh, well, any any saint is capable of um, saints. Saints get to be saints because they can do they can perform miracles. So if you got nine guys who can perform miracles, it's a pretty good ball team. That's a good team. Yeah. All right. You, you wouldn't I... even need a bench. You know, you wouldn't need a reliever. You wouldn't need, you could just, if you've got nine guys, nobody, they're not going to get hurt. Right? No, a lot of perfect games. Perfect games. They perfect, games. perfect games. That's, <laughs> that's right. A, a saint is someone who, a saint is someone who not only meets the norms, but goes beyond the norms, right? This ex exceptional, uh, beyond your run of the day, good person. A saint is not a run of the day, good person. A saint, a saint is someone who, who goes to excess, who has excessive holiness. So excessive power, excessive knowledge. You'll never be able to beat a team of saints. Okay, here's a twist on a, on a philosophical classic. Could God pitch a fastball so fast that he himself could not hit it? That's called, um, that's, that's, that is a debate between intellectualism and voluntarism. That is, do you think uh, God's knowledge is more powerful than his will or God's will is more powerful than his knowledge? And I, I think that's a phony problem. I think that uh, when you say something, what you just said, if you try to parse it philosophically, it would not actually make any sense. It would be like saying, can God, can God make a square circle? When you say square circle, the only thing that's going on there is your lips are moving. <laughs> that, that problem was first raised way back in the 11th century by a theologian who said, could, could God make it to be that Rome was not founded, even though Rome was founded? So question was could god change past time and what he wanted to know was could god make a sinner innocent of sin right but the question was it's a very interesting question could god change past time now think of what you could do with that if you were uh, a um, baseball manager and you could just rewind the game stop the game at the point of that crucial error or the crucial strikeout rewind it you'd never you'd never be able to beat that team yeah. Well, to be fair, baseball was a pretty different game in the 11th century. Yeah, they didn't have instant replay. <laughs> well, so this has been as as interesting and weird as many of the conversations we had at the kitchen table growing up with with dinner. So, thanks for for doing this. Where can people follow you, Dad, on uh, on social media? What's what's your Twitter handle? I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> All right, we're we're gonna set, up gonna have to set that up for me. <laughs> All right, thank you, Dad. Been a pleasure.